Welcome back to the Sports Rant with Grant here on Pacific Northwest Radio. It's season two, episode 17. And joining me on this episode is an old classmate of mine from BCIT, Nikhil Velji. Thanks for coming on, Nikhil. Anytime, man. Anytime. What have you been up to since our graduation one year ago? Yeah, man, it's been a whirlwind for us. We graduated so very unexpectedly. Like it was like, was it like a March, a random March? We were on spring break and this global pandemic kind of breaks out and we haven't seen each other since. And we, and we even... finished school online from, yeah. June, from March to May, everything right. online. And we haven't even had a proper ceremony or anything. We haven't yeah, hung man. out as a grad class like we all wanted to. Everybody we... decided to go back home. It's been one year. How has life been treating you in this pandemic we've been in? It's been it's been interesting, man. It's been a uh, it's been a rough time at at my at best. I mean, for all of us, we go from like being at BCIT. You're like very busy twenty four seven, right? Like you're working on projects, you're socializing. Like every aspect of life is just like go 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 go. And ever since the pandemic, it's kind of been slowed down. Like I live with my parents, They're, my mom's immune compromised. So it's like social gatherings are just like few and very far between. Um, it's hard to find a job graduating in a, gra- in a global pandemic. Who would have thought, right? Um, so I've just been going, I went back to school um, at UBC right now, working on real estate. Still have my eye on journalism as well, looking for jobs there as well. But kind of just chilling, man. Just uh, you know, kind of relaxed. A, little, a, a lot more of a relaxed approach over the last year than most of my life has been. So how about yourself? I, I'm the same way. It's been tough with hockey season getting shut down to TSN 1040 getting shut down oh, to, no. just no, to just no junior sport. So it's been hard to find that job in the field that you want to go into. It looks like with summer approaching, the plan is in place. It looks like things will be back to normal by September, which is great for That's us. That's awesome. Yep. Facts. But I think a big thing that happened to you over the summer is going completely viral on Twitter. Did I go viral on Twitter? <laughs> it might have been. Uh, it looks like you were, uh, were at the flight of when the Jim Benning to get fired banner took off. Yeah. Over 100,000 interactions on that. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a video that sparked a lot of controversy, a lot of polarizing or polarization. That was a lot captured on a lot of major networks, like Barstool reposted it, TSN reposted it, uh, Bar Down reposted it, Bar Down just yeah, pretty much every major publication reposted it. So it was kind of cool. Like it was on the news. I was just literally just watching the news the day like the, the banner came off and like they put my video on. But it's like, hey, at least give me like, you know, at BCIT, we learn about giving people like credits, right? Like it's like my Twitter video is clearly on the on the news. And it's not even like at, at Nikhil Velji. Like, come on, CTV, be better, be better. But it is what it is. Yeah, it. I was at the, uh, I was in cahoots with i wouldn't say cahoots but i was kind of talking to uncle elite and he said it was going to take off at the pit meadows airport so i'm just like hey man i live like two minutes away from there so why would i not just take the video so let's get into it so jim benning keeps his job canucks are going into in my opinion the most important off season in their franchise history they have to re-sign the two most important pieces this team has had since the city and twins but when the Canucks did resign the Sedin Twins, the Sedin Twins were more established. They were older in their careers and they wanted to stay here. Yeah. Pedersen and Hughes are in their early 20s, coming off historic rookie seasons for the Vancouver Canucks. How do what what is the Canucks plan coming into this offseason? I mean, like you mentioned it, they have two of their cornerstones kind of approaching free agent status. The difference here with the twins is obviously the twins were unrestricted and Pedersen and Hughes are restricted and Hughes is not even eligible for an offer sheet this year. So, I mean, I think what Elliot Friedman has outlined as the plan for the Canucks is to sign Pedersen to a three-year deal and I think Hughes, it's four or five years. So Pedersen will be getting shorter term, but more money than Hughes, most likely, because let's be honest here, Pedersen is the guy for the Canucks. Like people could argue, I know in the rookie years, people talked about how Pedersen Hughes were kind of like mm. neck and neck. But to me, Pedersen is the franchise guy. And Hughes is the best defenseman the Canucks have ever had in their franchise's history. But again, I think the priority here is to get Patterson done first, but I think they're simultaneously working on both contracts. 
it'll be interesting to see what the Canucks are able to do with very little salary cap space. I think they're going to have to be proactive in terms of buyouts, in terms of maybe even straighting away draft picks to get rid of some of these anchors of contracts. They also have to look at the expansion draft and other teams may be looking to deal some defensemen so they don't lose them to nothing to the Seattle impending Seattle franchise. So I think that Jim Benning and the Canucks have to be proactive in the way they get rid of money and they have to be proactive in looking at what teams are looking to sell during the impending expansion draft. But my issue with signing Hughes to a five-year contract though, is that takes him right straight to, yep. to you yep. to unrestricted free agency. Mm-hmm. So would it not make more sense for the Canucks to do a four-year to keep him as an RFA, then give him that big payday. I that's to me like again. I I'd, I'd give the full year eight years to Pedersen. I like he's not getting Eichel or Matthews money. If you can get Pedersen on a down like a down year where he had a ridiculously low shooting percentage, to get him eight times eight, eight times nine, it's going to be an absolute steal with inflation. To me, like if they could get Pedersen like completely locked in for eight years, that would be what I'd be doing because I think Pedersen is going to be like one of the top five players in the league. Uh, with Hughes, yeah, exactly. I mean, like there's a huge precedence. There's not a huge precedence of American guys staying with Canadian teams throughout the tenure of their career. We saw here with Ryan Kessler. So I would not like to get, Ryan, or sorry, not Ryan Kessler, Quinn Hughes to unrestricted free agency, especially if Luke Hughes is going to be drafted by the New Jersey Devils to join Jack Hughes. And, At number four, that's yeah. I have the yeah. same thought. I think yeah. Luke Hughes is going number four because yeah. the Devils hold that pick. But the other issue with the Vancouver Canucks is why why do none of their core players do what the Colorado Avalanche did? Look at Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon is clearly in num- clearly cut the second best player in the world. And he's even said he will take less money on his next deal because he wants to win. Mm-hmm. So why don't other mm-hmm. superstars take that same route? We saw Crosby do it. We saw Malkin do it. Why don't these other stars, such, th- as, your Ma- th- such as your Matthews, th- your Tavares, your Marners? I, th- wait, I think why, it's, it's all why, based on... Why Sorry. don't Petey and Hughes get together with the core four of Horvat, Miller, Besser, even five, Besser, Pedersen and Hughes, and let's take less money and let's build the team. Is it just this core has no faith in Jim Benning? My thing is, if you have organizational structure and look at all the structured organizations, the Canucks under Mike Gillis, you know what was happening? You know what the Sedins were signed to when they were winning back-to-back Art Ross trophies? $6 million a year. Ryan Kessler publicly stated and was fined by the NHLPA for saying, I did take less money on my last contract. He took five at six to win 40-goal Selkie winner, and then Burroughs was signed at $2 million. It starts with organization. McKinnon has been publicly saying he will exactly. take less money it's, as well. If you have belief in your organization, you are taking less money to stay in Vancouver. But like what Boston is doing, Pasternak is signing an absurdly low cap hit, Bergeron, Marchand, they're all taking less money because they have faith in their management team. Whereas the Canucks, what does Petters, Pedersen looks at? Like, let's look at who the highest paid players are on the Canucks, Louis Erickson and Tyler Myers. Why should Elias Pedersen sacrifice money so Jim Benning can spend it on fourth liners is probably what his line thinking is. My other issue here with the Vancouver Canucks is New York Islanders have recently come out and said what makes their team successful. They said Lula Morello, Barry Trotz, and an ownership group who stays the fuck out of the way. Those are their three things of the key success for the New York Islanders, publicly stated. So is it really, can we blame all of the Canucks issues on Jim Benning or how much can we blame on Francesco Aquilini and oh, the way, sh- and the way he is right in, in the organization? Kessler even said this coming, said this off season, how Francesco Aquilini nixed a trade Mike Gillis had lined up Pittsburgh, right? to Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and then yeah. Gillis gets oh. fired brings and then Aquilini brings in Jim Benning and Kessler goes to Benning and here's a big fuck you Jim Benning here's two teams now because of your uh, because of the owner how much of the blame for the Canucks issue can we put on Aquilini a lot of it like it does it not start if it's like asking how much can we blame 
a corporation for their manager or their CEO? Like who's more important to the team? It's the ownership. Everything starts with the ownership, right? And Francesco Aquilini, by all metrics and everything, like under Mike Gillis, he was completely fine. When the team was winning, he was not intervening. And Mike Gillis was doing a really good job at every aspect of his job, essentially, maybe aside from drafting. But like, there's a lot of things that Mike Gillis was bringing in sleep coaches. He was bringing sorry, not sleep coaches, sleep doctors. He was bringing in like incredibly like valued pieces to this organization that other teams were like, like the Seattle Seahawks were reaching out to the Canucks to kind of get their travel schedule because the Canucks were implementing so many new things and new analytics and new technology. And somehow like Francesco Eccoli bent from being like a pretty good owner to an absolutely abysmal one because he, an owner should not be interfering in day-to-day operations in terms of management. And you know what, how I feel about Jim Benning. I'm not, never have been, you know that, but it's not completely on him because if you're inter- I mean, if you're having a guy that has absolutely no knowledge of the sport whatsoever, such as Francesco Aquilini completely interfering on day-to-day measures, it's going to cause like a ripple effect throughout the organization. And um, I think like as much as Benning needs to go, so does Francesco Aquilini, unless he starts to do what he did under Mike Gillis and just pump money in and just stay out of the day-to-day operations. And, and that's a big thing for me. I think a lot of this is all because of Francesco. Like, let's take your money. He doesn't like want to lose his job. No one wants to get fired. So if your owner comes in and says, I want to sign Beagle and Erickson and Myers and Roussel, you're going to have to go and sign those guys unless you want to get fired. So it's, t- yes, the contracts are awful. Benning is to blame for them. But I think as a Canuck fan base, we need to look at ownership of how in- coherent Aquilini is at what this team needs. We don't need that. We have prospects that have been traded away. Like look, look at recently, the Canucks last year had a great player in Tyler Toffoli. They traded a second round pick and, and Tyler Madden for him. Toffoli mm-hmm. has publicly come out after being in Montreal, demanding he stays in Vancouver, demanding his agent get a deal done and not even a contract was offered. But then seven Eight months later, the Canucks re-signed Tanner Pearson to $3.5 million, the same only a million dollars more than Tyler Toffoli signs in Montreal for four years? It's, how, yeah. how is the Canucks management and ownership this incompetent? There is a reason Trevor Linden quit. Mm-hmm. That's a huge fact. Like Trevor Linden... People like to blame Trevor Linden for a lot of things that are happening right now, but it's like Trevor Linden kind of saw the the light side to it and kind of got out of it. And uh, there's like, a reason the Sedins didn't take the GM job and president that Aquilini offered them. Yeah, are- it's it's just it's it's an organization. Like I'm saying, I'm not blaming it all on Jim Benning, right? It's uh, what I'm going to say. It is an organization that's rotten from the top to the bottom at this point. Like honestly, it starts with Aquilini. It goes to Jim Benning, John Weisbrod. Look, why does that guy have a job? Why is Judd Brackett leaving? Like Judd Brackett was an incredibly good director of player scouting. He's gone. It's, it feels like every single intelligent person is pushed out of this organization. But then somehow the Canucks, with all the rumors of Ian Clark, their number one goalie coach in the NHL leaving, he gets a deal done. He gets his five years. Yeah, so I think that... that the and, actual, and, then they, and then they bring in a great defensive coach in Bradshaw. Shaw, yeah, so I mean, again, Thank I think... goodness, Noel I, Brown is gone. My I, issue with losing Brown and bringing in Shaw, who is running the Canucks power play now? Are we going to really... We don't have a power play coach now. We don't have is, a president is, of hockey operations or... Is Nolan Baumgartner running the Canucks power play after getting pushed out of D because of Bradshaw. Like what is their plan in three months when the season in in September and and preseason has started? There is no plan for this Vancouver Canucks team. There never has been a plan for this Vancouver Canucks team. My friend there, they like to wing it. They like to wing it. And like you said, with Ian Clark, I think that not to say Travis Scott, I was going to say like with Travis green was also, speculated to probably not be retained by the Vancouver Canucks. But I think Francesco Aquilini does read Twitter. He does look at the forums and he's probably saw the outcry to sign these guys. So he opened up his checkbook and he retained Travis Green, who I think is a so-so coach. But again, I I was not a fan of bringing Green back. He's had his four years and he had one run in the bubble when it was a magical run. No No one is denying that. But I think his line juggling is awful. 
I think his overplay of Edler is terrible. And I just don't know if he has the guts to go to Benning and Aquilini to demand what he wants. Yeah, um, I, apparently Travis Green God did get a hefty raise too. But like when you like you mentioned the Islanders, and I think that is the perfect example of you don't just need good players to be a good organization, right? Like where were the New York Islanders with that much firepower? And they had John Tavares. Like they imagine that they had a point per game center added to that team, and they were going nowhere. But when they when they transitioned from their you know, their carousel of GMs or carousel of coaches, and they brought structure to their organization, Barry Trot to Lou Lamorello. Look at them now, right? Like it all starts from the top of your organization. It's a trickle effect. And like Travis Green is an okay coach. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's great, but you don't have to settle for mediocrity. Vancouver is not a city that wants to settle for mediocrity. Gerard Gallant is an option as a coach who I think would be a leaps and bounds upgrade over Travis Green. And there's also general managers, presidents of precedents winning at this level that would steer the Canucks in the positive direction, in my opinion. I am just surprised with the list of GMs out there, especially from a certain three-time cup winner in the last decade in the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have had two recent GMs that they have fired or have quit that are both were both on the market that somehow the Canucks didn't get it done. And especially with Gallant, not taking any of the jobs. I think he's waiting for that Rangers job. But Gallant seemed, would have been the right coach, I think, with this team of how they're built. And then I think a key factor here is looking at it down the road. What Roberto Luongo just did yep. with the IIHF World Championship Team Canada team. Mm-hmm. Of how many players said no? We were, were 100% aware of who said no for Team USA from the Vancouver Canucks. Besser, Demko, Hughes. All said no. Miller and Miller, Miller yeah. all said no. Yeah. Now just imagine what Team Canada had saying no. Your Crosbys, your Horvats, your top guys, your Marners, all said no. Luongo had an 0-3 start and and his put his as soon as they add Andrew Mangiampani in from Luongo. Great player. The team goes on in a historic run, wins gold. I want I think Luongo would be the perfect person to bring in as the assistant GM the, or the president of hockey ops, learn that role, and then he can he can become your Joe Sackicks, your Steve Eisermans. Yep. Because I think it is clear and cut that Joe Sackick and Steve Eiserman are two of the top GMs in the mm-hmm. NHL. What Joe Sackick has done with that Colorado Avalanche, they have a just crazy core. They have a amazing depth. And they still have ten million dollars in salary gap heading into the offseason. Look what the uh, look what the Red Wings have done. They when they bring on they bring in Eisman and their entire team changes their culture. Eisman yeah. brought in a winning mentality that he brought in from Tampa. And I think the final four heading in now, going switching gears to the playoffs, like we talked about with the Islanders. We have a Tampa Bay, New York Islanders conference final. I. I'm. I don't want to write off the Islanders, but yes. I don't. I just they're going up against a juggernaut of Tampa, and I hate when people bring up that they're eighteen million dollars over the salary cap. They cheated the system. It's I'm dumb. I, it's I'm really sorry. Dumb. How many teams in Vancouver? The Vancouver's done it before, man. Twenty eleven. How many? Te- no, but my point is this: How many teams in the NHL can take away your best player for an entire season? And make the playoffs. Not and, then, and not and just then, make and the and playoffs. Insta- yeah. And then instantly put him in the lineup. That is my point. Is if you take the best player away, take take like we saw what happened when the Canucks lost Pedersen. We've seen what happens when the Pittsburgh loses Crosby. As great as Malkin in, he is not a he can he cannot lead the team like Crosby. We mm-hmm. if Edmonton loses McDavid, there's no shot they do anything. Even in the playoffs, mm-hmm. they got swept by the Jets. Look what happens when the Jets lost Shifley. If the Maple Leafs lose Matthews, they lose 41 goals. You take away a team's best player, there is no chance they do what Tampa did. And that's why I don't like when people bring up the cap penalty for Tampa because their team is so good they didn't need Nikita Kucherov for an entire season. They are coming off the shortest offseason in NHL history after winning the cup in October. They're going to do it again now that Vegas has taken out the best team in Colorado in my opinion. 
Yeah, um, I don't know if it, I'd probably call them a slam dunk to repeat. I think Vegas is a very, very good hockey team, and that will be incredible. That was that was the finals I predicted for last year, Vegas-Tampa. So, I mean, I'd love to watch that. Obviously, both, guy, both teams have to go through the Islanders and the Montreal Canadiens, who are two very structured teams but are probably don't have the talent to match up with them obviously don't have the talent to match up with them i mean carrie price could steal the series we're obvious that vegas has seen that before with thatcher demko being like an absolute god mode against them last last year in the bubble does it does but, it make you speaking of that series if you look back the canucks are a robin leonard heroic save away from the conference finals um, yeah, but they're also that was a team with Tyler DeFoley, right? Tyler DeFoley was a exactly stud as a team. So with that, but, and that is my issue. How do you watch that run and then not resign him? Mm-hmm. No, and then that was a team that also got like absolutely like unprecedented goaltending by Thatcher Demko as well. Like the Vegas Golden Knights were leaps and bounds the better team in that series. Like they were absolutely hemming the Canucks in and. Obviously, it's hockey, so there's less variance in other sports, right? So anything can happen, right? So, but like the Canucks were not anywhere close to as good as a hockey team as the Vegas. Not Bowl. at all. And does it bother you of how great Vegas is four years into their team season, their team career, I should say? They've made the conference finals three times. It doesn't bother me because it just shows what good management can really do to you, man. Like, no one but predicted does it. But the thing is, though, no one predicted it. But the way the expansion draft was set up, there was no way for them to fail. I mean, again, like, the thing is, when the Vegas Golden Knights drafted the players that they drafted in the expansion draft, if you look at all the articles, everyone projected Vegas to be last in their division, right? So this wasn't a team that was projected to have, like, they didn't get, like, a is superstar player, right? Like who is the, like they had a line of Jonathan Smarcher show, Riley Smith and William Carlson. Like, and they had, and they had a three times Stanley Cup winner in net. But again, like Marc-Andre Fleury was kind of on the down spiral of his career. Like Marc-Andre Fleury was offered to other teams this summer to take for free and nobody took him, man. Like Marc-Andre Fleury is a great goaltender, but he was on the downspring of his career. He had had an absolutely insane year this year. But Marc-Andre Fleury was a guy that if you offered the Pittsburgh Penguins a third or fourth round pick for while they were like during the expansion draft, they would have taken it, man. Like it's not like they were given like superstars. They, Dale Talon handed them John Riley Smith and Jonathan Marchessault because he wanted to protect Alex Petrovich. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's not hit. It's not the Vegas Golden Knights' fault. The other teams are incompetent and can't assess talent. Like, they they were able to get Nate Schmidt, but what was Nate Schmidt in Washington? Right, he was like a seventh, sixth, seventh defenseman. What was William Carlson in Columbus? He was a fourth line center. Vegas did a really good job of developing these guys, but these guys weren't superstars, right? These guys were your average shows. And then it shows what happens when you have a fun place to play. Mm-hmm. You can buy your team. Yeah, I mean, they died. You, you, tra- you traded and you, dra- you traded well. You had really good options in free agency and you got your pieces. Mm-hmm. How, team. with the way the expansion draft is set up, is there a way, how does Seattle do coming into the expansion draft this season? They still I- currently have no head coach. I think that there's a lot of good coaches available right now, right? So they're kind of going to take that down to the wire so prior to the season starts, but they not the season, sorry, the as season ends. But if you're if you're getting a coach, you're supposed like you have to get it done before the expansion draft because you need a coach that knows like has input on the players that he's picking, right? Like that is something they need to do. But I think that I'm really liking the staff that Seattle is putting together. I think they're fo- focusing on analytics quite a bit, and I think that I mean it's going to be really hard to replicate Vegas's success, and I don't think they will and people may call that a failure in their first couple of years because they don't replicate Vegas' success but I still do think that they have the opportunity to build a lot of things moving forward and I think they're going to be a really good rival for the Canucks and I think that it's really good for hockey because I think Seattle is a, a city that can embrace hockey and I think that the Seattle Kraken will be a success in the National Hockey League for sure. So we're been, we've been on Vegas. How does this series with the Montreal Canadiens stack up? Can Carey Price do it for a third time? The Vegas Golden Knights Montreal series, right? Can Carey Price steal a third series? Can he? Yes, but I don't think he will. I think this Vegas team is built 
very differently than the teams he's previously played, right? Montreal, Toronto is very top-heavy, and if you shut down Matthews and Marner and Nylander, especially with Tavares out of the lineup, there's not going to be a lot of offense coming down your way. And Winnipeg was a team that played without Mark Scheifele and had a horrible defense. When, Vegas is a team that can give you four lines, and that's a team that's distributed four lines that can score. Like Alex Tuck is on their third line, and he's, he's a stud. And then you have their defense from one to six, which is really deep. So I don't think Montreal is going to be able to compete with the speed, the size, the especially like the contrast is Montreal is not really going to have that many fans in their building, right? And then you go to Vegas, that place is jumping, man. It is rocking. 18,000 strong versus 25,000 so, Montreal. Yeah, so there's going to be a clear home ice advantage there too. So I mean, Montreal, Vegas is going to be playing four, like if the series goes seven, four home games. They're not going to be really playing any away games, right? Like it's not Montreal, Montreal in the playoffs. No, like, it's the, not the Bell was, Center where you where I come where I come into. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's an advantage there too, and I think they're the better hockey team in general. And I think they're battle tested. They've been there before. They haven't gotten over the hump yet. But I think Vegas has a really good chance of not only obviously beating Montreal, but I think they can take Tampa. They can take give them a real good series. A real. So good you series. brought up Tampa here. So how does this Islanders Tampa series match up? Because in my for me. I didn't have the Islanders making it out of the first round. I had them losing to Pittsburgh, and then I had them losing to Boston. So I, I'm not surprised where they are because of how deep their team is, how well coached they are, and how everyone buys into sports. I'm just surprised they are where they are because of the teams they played. How do the, how do how does it stack up for Tampa? Is Tampa going to just dominate them, or is it going? Or is no. it going to be a hard-fought battle? No series. Every time that you play the New York Islanders, you're not going to throttle them, right? They're just too well structured. They're too well coached to have that happen to them. They're too gritty and they're kind of built for the playoffs. But I think it's a series that'll be Tampa's going to have to dig deep. They're going to have to grind. That's what Tampa's done, right? Like in previous years, Tampa didn't have like the Barkley Goudreaux, the Blake Coleman's, those guys that kind of were like anchors on the third and fourth lines and they kind of got blown out, right? Like they weren't built for the playoffs and as much of an analytics guy as I am, you need to have those guys and Tampa's done a really good job of bringing those guys in and you know what happened in the first year they brought you know, had a more playoff approach to our game. Patrick Maroon as well, who hasn't lost a playoff series in, I think, nine rounds or ten rounds now, which is absurd. They just have a co combination of skill, and they're built for the moment. And they also have guys that can go up and down their lineup and give you, like, a Yanni Gord. It's even a Tyler Johnson. He's buried under the bottom six, but he's a guy that's rose to the occasion the playoffs before and i think that's a team that just has a perfect balance of grit and skill and all that stuff and i think that it won't be an easy series for them obviously not because new york's gonna dig deep but tampa can take them in the trenches and tampa can beat them there too so what is your stanley cup final we have the islanders versus tampa and the knights versus montreal what is your predictions for those two series I got the or sorry, not the Islanders, the Lightning in six and the Vegas Golden Knights in five. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I have the Lightning in five. I just feel like they're going to roll the way they are playing. I just think their team will be too much for the Islanders. Mm -hmm. And I've wrote them off the entire off postseason. I don't want to do it and get be, and get it wrong again. I'm taking Montreal in, Montreal in seven. Ooh, that's a take. I am take the reason why is Carey Price to me is playing like 2014 Carey Price, where he is seeing everything, he's as calm as he can be, and nothing is phasing him. You saw it. Even when they even when Toronto tied it and even when Toronto would fight back in game five, in game six, it didn't and they won an OT. Uh, it didn't phase them. And then and, like and then against the Jets, it nothing. As soon as they had a lead, you could feel the momentum with the Montreal. You could see Price just be calm. I'm not saying Vegas. Vegas is a much better team, but we've seen in playoffs how goaltending can steal it 100%. for you. It's, like, and, it's literally happened to Vegas before by Thatcher. Like literally Thatcher Demko did that to the same team last year, right? Like it's not like he has it. And Vegas is susceptible to the, you know, stolen goaltending performances. Even Cam Talbot had a few in the Minnesota series. Like, and I just, I would rather pick Montreal and Montreal get blown out than me to write them off again. 
because I've wrote them off since Toronto. I wrote them off even in the regular season. I thought their team was awful, and they've proved me wrong for the entire hockey season. And I also just don't want Vegas to win in their fourth year. It won't sit right with me because I've been through pain with the Canucks. Trust me, my guy. Trust me, my guy. I know how you feel, but I think Vegas being good is good for hockey. It's great for hockey. And, um, you know, with ESPN getting negotiation rights with hockey coming in, Vegas putting the cup will be, I think it'll market the game better than any other city left in the playoffs. I mean, Montreal already has their fans and the Islanders are they're the baby sister to the Rangers. Let's be honest here. And, um, you know, Tampa Bay's already won. I think Vegas winning would kind of set that city off. And I think it'll make more headlines than any other team winning it for sure. Is it not a is it, but take it from this point of view. Is it not a massive story? If Tampa wins the cup on the shortest NHL off season ever, and without their best player for the entire regular season to still make the playoffs and then steamroll the playoffs. I mean, like they steamrolled the playoffs last year without their captain, right? Like we know how good this hockey team is there. That's the thing. Their captain Stamkos missed the whole playoffs and they wrecked it. Yeah. They're 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 a good hockey team. Like I want to switch gears here to the NBA. Now Perfect. we, the, the, Phoenix Suns just wrapped off a dominating performance over the Denver Nuggets going up 3-0 in their series now. Mm-hmm. We have the 76ers and Hawks, which also had a series today, which the 76ers took it by a 127 to 111 to now lead 2-1. Mm-hmm. And we still head over in the East with the Nets and the Bucks. How much trouble are the Nets in without Harden up 2-1, but in Milwaukee tomorrow night. They're in no trouble whatsoever. They're not. The Brooklyn Nets, G- Kevin Durant shot under 40% from the field last game. Joe Harris, who is literally won the three-point contest a few years ago, went one for 12 from the field. Kyrie Irving didn't dominate. Uh, Bruce Brown played like horrible, and they still lost by one possession. Like, I'm... I. I really, I, for me, it's anyone but the Nets or Clippers, but the Nets are completely fine. They are going to, if they don't win tomorrow, they still have home court to protect. And just in those big clutch moments, like Chris Middleton made some shots, but I don't trust Giannis. Give me Kevin Durant in those moments for, any day of the week. And I, I fully agree. But I also, it's a one possession game for sure. But Giannis has to drive more. Why is he shooting eight threes? He shot one for eight and from 14 for 31 from the line. The Nets don't have a rim protector. They don't have a defense. Giannis needs to use his presence and size and do what old LeBron would do. Drive to the rim and get buckets the hard way. You will space the floor and you have great shooters around you that will hit your threes. Giannis, you don't need to be taking eight threes a game. You can't hit them. You can barely hit a free throw. Yeah, um, the thing is, Giannis has to have that LeBron in him, right? We saw when LeBron was his age. LeBron would not settle. And LeBron has a way better jumper than Giannis does. But, like, you have to develop that first and foremost because LeBron didn't come in the league with that shot. LeBron worked hard, and he got a jumper. And LeBron's, like, fadeaway, too, is absolutely one of the most underrated things in the history of basketball because he makes that shot at an elite level. And Giannis needs to just put his shoulder down and drive to the rim. And what happens is when he does that, he collapses the defense and Milwaukee has a barrage of shooters on each side that can get open. So Giannis has to be more aggressive. He has to look at LeBron James film, honestly, like LeBron James ability to collapse defenses by driving and kicking it out or driving it and throwing it down is historically good. And Giannis has a skill set to be that good, but he needs to not defer. You need to not settle. That's the problem. When LeBron had issues against Dallas, he was settling. He was settling. He was settling. The same thing is happening here. Blake Griffin is guarding you. Blake Griffin is hobbled. Blake Griffin is not the Clippers. Blake Griffin, you take him to the rack. You make life difficult on him. Make Durant collapse on you and kick it out or take it to the hole. Going over to the West now, I think we both have the 76ers advancing against the Hawks. Yeah. I think the Bucks and Nets is a very toss-up depending what Giannis shows up on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. But I think the West is interesting. Can the Clippers do it again? Down to nothing. Heading home. 
can the Clippers do it again? Can they come back and do it again? I, I, I still have the win in the series. (laughs) Unfortunately, I still have the win in the series. I think they'll protect home court and I think they can steal one in Utah, but they're in trouble, man. They are in serious trouble. They're putting themselves in holes every single series they're in. But the thing about Ty Lue is Ty Lue is a coach that kind of uses, he's like a LeBron because he's been, he coaches LeBron. He uses that first game kind of as a feel out process. Right. And we saw it in 2016 with the Cavs and the Warriors. We saw it last series against Dallas and we're seeing it again. I think Ty Lue coach teams don't really have an issue from playing from behind because they kind of use that first game. as kind of a little bit of a feel out more so than like Doc Rivers, the Doc Rivers coaches teams with the Clippers. They kind of go, hard in the first couple of games kind of lose steam and doc rivers is one of the worst elimination coaches in the history of north american professional team sports whereas ty Lu is more of a reserved guy that kind of understands that there's seven games to a series and he kind of plays it out based on that longevity of a series here's the thing if the clippers get lose in the second round what well, happens in the offseason for them is think- Kawhi gone I think Kawhi's got to go, man. Like you can't like this. This is your this is your shot with LeBron and the Lakers losing, not because they weren't good enough, because they were injured and decimated. The Clippers need to get to the finals this year. If they don't get to the finals, they got to blow everything up. Like it's but not the thing is though, can you, you can you blow everything up? Is the problem they traded everything for Paul George? Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not talking about the Clippers organizationally speaking. I'm thinking about Kawhi Leonard exercising his right as a player option to leaving the Clippers because I don't think there is a plat path for the Clippers moving forward. They lost to the Nuggets and the Nuggets got better and they're getting Jamal Murray back and then the. Lakers will be better next year. They're not beating the Lakers in a seven-game series, sorry, but they're not. And they also have the Nuggets who beat them. And Jamal Murray's coming back. Phoenix is coming up. Utah, who would have just beaten them. Like, if you're Kawhi, you're Golden State's getting Clay Thompson back. Dallas, who gave you a really hard fight. Luka's only getting better, man. Like, it, it is going to be tough for the Clippers to make. This is their year, man. If they don't make it to the, at least make it to the finals, it's, Kawhi's probably going to leave. And the Suns put a stranglehold on the Denver Nuggets tonight, going up 3-0. I think I think you and I both can agree that this series is over. Chris Paul is putting on a show. And I am curious what this NBA offseason is going to look like for this very reason. Kawhi has an option. Steph Curry has an option. Chris Paul is a free agent. Um, Three stars. Yeah. One of them is LeBron's best friend. The Lakers have a spot. Is there a chance? This is me just being me. Does LeBron get Chris Paul to LA where a spot he wanted to go a decade ago? Um, I think with the success that Chris Paul is having in Phoenix right now, it's pretty much, I'd say it's, He's going to stay there for the rest of his career. Him and D-Book fit in really well there. It's a really good, well-coached team with Monty Williams. And they just have a combination of really young guards that can move up and down the court. Chris Paul doesn't really have to play that much because campaign's great backup to him. I think he's in the perfect situation right now in Phoenix. And I, I just don't see Chris Paul going on that you know, final farewell tour with LeBron to win a championship. I'd love to see it, obviously, but... Does it depend on what the Suns do this year, though? Mm-hmm. Say I, if, they, if the Suns don't win at all. Say they lose in the uh, Western Conference Finals or even in the Finals. If Chris Paul doesn't win it... Yeah, I, 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 I just think that they're going to be in a situation where this is a team that hasn't won a playoff series in X amount of years, right? And a team that hasn't had any success in X amount of years. The, the Sun series, series, as long as they win the next game, the Den- or like win one game in the Denver series, it's a success, like a complete success. It's so. already a success, though, no matter from getting to the playoffs. They were the number two seed. Yeah, exactly. So their, their season is completely successful. So I don't think Chris Paul is going to leave. I think that he's found a home in Phoenix and he's going to just be, he's going to be happy there and he's going to kind of play out his career there, in my opinion. And Steph Curry is not leaving Golden State, by the way. Like, it's, I, I agree. I don't think he is. But <laughs> yeah. I, it, the ball, the gears are turning for LeBron to have that three-person tandem again that we've seen that he have in Miami, that we've seen him, that now Katie is put together after Golden State and he's put together in Brooklyn now. 
And I'm tired of hearing the whole narrative of LeBron started the super team. Super team has been around since the eighties, everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it is. I, I think LeBron will find the third guy. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't think LeBron will need a third guy. He just needs to support his team with like shooters and just valuable guys that can move up and down the lineup. And I don't think that Kuzma and Dennis Schroeder and Wesley Matthews is the options for them. If they're able to replace those guys with solid two way wings that can shoot, then they're going to be a better off. So yes, with the with the Eastern second round, I have the 76ers and the Bucks advancing. I have the Bucks just figuring it out and being able to steamroll the one Nets. I'll, I'll be right can't back. Play defense. I'll, I'll just move my basement one sec. And then in the Western Conference, I think the Utah Jazz still being up to nothing. I don't think the Clippers have another comeback in them. I think this team is shot. I think their confidence is gone because they rely on they're relying on Kawhi to do everything, and Kawhi can Kawhi is a great two way player, but only a two way if he can put in half and half. He can't be great on offense and great on defense. He can be average on offense and average on defense. He can be great on defense, not great on offense. He can't do it both night in night out. He can't give you 45 and then blow you out on defense. He can't guard your best player than on defense if he's giving you 45 yep. on offense. Oh, well, we saw that with Luca. We were seeing it with Donovan Mitchell as well. Like, and then no the Suns can. up 3-0. This series is over. My Western Conference final is going to be the Jazz versus the Suns, the top two teams in the West all season. I think it's that's how it's going to play out in the NBA for the Western Conference and Eastern Conference rounds. Yeah, I got the Clippers beating the the Jazz still, and I think the Clippers will beat the, the Suns as well. I got the Clippers and Nets, but I hope I hope the Clippers lose. I hate the Clippers. <laughs> Who doesn't? It's not. Clippers are not an LA team. They're not. Switching gears here. I know how much of a fan you are of these two brothers. We just saw the older one have a very public fight with Floyd Mayweather securing that $20 million bag in an exhibition match. It went all eight rounds. In the future, in a couple months, August to be exact, Jake Paul, who has knocked out an NBA player, a UFC wrestler in Ben Askren, is going up now against a guy who can throw a punch and UFC former middleweight champion, Tyron Woodley. How he's a dog. Woodley has I this fight is interesting for me because Jake Paul has never seen a fighter like Woodley. He's never seen a guy that knows how to actually punch. He fought Askren. Askren was the one of the greatest U.S. wrestlers ever. Sucked at striking. <laughs> He's not a striker. He yeah. is now facing a guy who can knock your lights out with one punch. Mm-hmm. There's a fundamental difference, though, between being a UFC, you know, four-ounce gloves knocking you out than being a boxer, right? Like, that's a huge difference. I think Ty Woodley is, don't get me wrong, I think Ty Woodley is one of the greatest, like, fighters of his era. Him and Kamara Usman are the two, two of the greatest fighters in their weight class with GSP as well. But um, I don't know, man. Jake, Jake Paul. Why don't you Jake Paul? Like that's the one thing is he's he's been in the ring for four years now. He's been he's got the ringsmanship. He's good in there. He's calm under pressure. He's got a great lead jab. He's got knockout power and. I, I think that Jake Paul will beat Tyron Woodley personally. I think it's going to be a way closer fight than any of his other ones because the, he was fighting bums out there. But dude, I've seen Jake Paul spar before, man. He's fought spars some really good fighters, and he's he's hung in there. Jake Jake Paul is he's no joke. He's no Disney Channel star. Like, don't sleep on Jake Paul. Like, you can when hate, when does J- when does Jake Paul finally step into the ring against an actual boxer? When yeah. when is that time for him? I don't think he really needs to, man. Like if he keeps But does he pressure, not want to prove himself? I think like, <laughs> like you talked about, fighting in the UFC and boxing is two different mm, sports. Yeah, for sure. But like So if it, if he wants to prove himself as a boxer, oh yeah, does he let, not need to fight a boxer? Yeah, he does. But if you look at like let's say Brian Garcia, same similar age to Jake Paul, twenty two and no 
biggest prospects since Mayweather, right? As a boxer, like Ryan Garcia and his fourth fight was fighting like plumbers, man. Like if you look at professional boxing, these dudes are just putting, they're fighting one in 12 guys to boost up their records. Like Tyron Woodley at your fourth fight is tougher than anyone. Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, uh, Gervonta Davies, Davis has fought in their for fourth fights. Like, you like got to understand like the boxing dudes they they pump their guys records against bombs in their first couple I, fights. No denying right? that, but look at the first three fights of of Paul's career. It's they're not even. Nobody. They're not even they're box. They're, they're not even like the only fighter is Askren, who is a wrestler. Yeah, that's fair. And then, but like again, like what Jake Paul is doing is he's working himself up a little bit by little bit, just like he should be. Like the first guy he fought was this clumsy ass YouTuber. He's a bum. The second guy he worked himself up, Nate Robinson. He's an athlete. People, people were saying like, if you looked, I bet money on this fight. That Jake Paul was favorite, like minus one sixty favorite. He wasn't overwhelming favorite like let's be honest here like i bet money on i made like 700 bucks on that fight because people thought nate robinson was an athlete he could give jake paul a problem jake paul knocked his shit out and then same with ben Askren. nate Nate robinson is an athlete nate robinson is also tiny and can't fight that's that's what i'm saying but you know like you're i'm i'm not saying you said this prior to the fight but a lot of people said that you know what nate robinson's a natural athlete jake paul's a youtuber he'll knock him out Again, look at the betting odds, right? And then for, when he killed him, he fought Askren. And then, again, Askren was a bomb, and you and I both knew that. But the general masses said, hey, Ben Askren is I, a— I thought Askren would have had a better shot. I don't agree with that stoppage. I thought that stoppage was absolute bullshit. Jay, but the fight was inevitable. Like, the result in that fight is inevitable. I, I, on the Nate Robinson fight, when the first knockdown should have been a stoppage, but— it wasn't, and he went viral for having, like, going to sleep, right? Yeah, of course. So, um, you, if you're a ref, you don't want to see that happen, right? You're going to put those safe, their, their safety. The difference is with Robinson versus Askren. No, you're right. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're about to say. And is, I agree with it. Yeah. Is Robinson's never been in a fight? No, I agree. Askren is trained to fight. I agree. I agree. But, and like, I, so I thought that stoppage was poor. Askren was up and ready to go. And the ref stopped it. Yeah, but I think the the result so is I think this though. fight with Woodley is going to be a totally different animal. And I'm excited for it because I want to see what Jake Paul... I think this fight is will show what Jake Paul is made of. Can he take down a guy who knows what he is doing in the ring? Yeah, that that's a good question. I think it's a toss-up, but I still I'm still going with Jake Paul based on... I think him having more experience as a boxer, obviously not as a fighter as Tyron Woodley. And, but like Jake, Jake Paul does not try to win a world title, man. He's just trying to make a name for himself, get the clout and finesse a bag. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. He fought Ben Askren. He got 1.6 million pay-per-view buys. That's one of the 10, fo- that's one of the 10 highest pay-per-view events in the history of boxing. For fighting Ben Askren, man, like he, those Paul brothers are finessing right now, and you can hate them all you want, but they're they they put in the work and they they're they're making money. No, there's no hate, and I, there's no hate on that. But switching gears, stay with stay with the same fighting. We have a Conor McGregor Ooh. fight. It is the third installment in this rivalry. Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier. They've each won one fight. How does this play out? What McGregor is showing up? I think Conor McGregor is motivated, and I think Conor McGregor is simply a better martial artist than Dustin Poirier. I think he got his game plan was just whack in the last fight because he was trying to train for Manny Pacquiao as well, so he had a boxer stance. If McGregor is able to go back to his karate stance, stay light on his feet, throw his leg kicks, he's simply, first of all, more powerful than Dustin. I think he's, I think Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor are very similar fighters, but Conor McGregor is just a better version of him, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the power, I think McGregor just has that, that left hand of McGregor will touch him. If that left, if McGregor's left hand is ready and sharp, I think Dustin goes to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I think that D- McGregor may have had the opportunity to put him asleep a few times in that fight. And I think he just kind of wanted to get that ring experience because he hasn't been in the ring like enough recently because obviously the Cowboy fight was over like that. And the Khabib fight was 
Keith, that, that fight never should have really been like McGregor was took a two year hiatus from the sport. McGregor wasn't in shape for that fight. And so he's really barely been in the ring, to be honest. And I think in that first round, I think he was dominating Dustin. He had the opportunity to put him away, but he kind of just chilled out. Like I need to maybe get more rounds in me. And it kind of backfired. And I think that everything that could go right for Dustin went right for Dustin in that fight. And everything that could go wrong for Connor went wrong in that fight. And I think Connor will take him inside two rounds. And um, I think that Connor will be fighting for the champion, the, the 155 championship against, uh, sorry, it wasn't uh, Charles uh, Oliveira. Oliveira, Oliveira. Yeah. So staying with the UFC here, how, has Dana White not made the official of Francis Naganu versus John Jones? Again, like where how is this not already the official fight? It is clearly the fight to make. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't want to watch Derek Lewis. I don't want to watch Stipe again. The money making fight. Because the problem here is if you give it to Lewis or you give it to Stipe again, there's no interest. Because everybody yeah. wants it to be John Jones. Yep, yep, that's what. So I don't, I don't get it from Dana. Open your book. Open your book. Give Jones his eight million that he he doesn't deserve Connor money, but Jones ran through a division. Jones is the go in my books, by the way. Like I think he's the greatest. I fully he ran through a division. You know, the, I don't the, the Khabib stuff is just it's just it's recency bias at its finest. Jones think, made a division irrelevant. Mm-hmm. No, J- Jones is the goat in my books. So he, I I don't understand Dana here. You well, this if you make the fight Naganu versus Jones. It will make more money than you will pay either it's of them. Not even, it's not even close. It'll make more money. It'll be, it'll be one of the biggest fights in the history of the corporation. It might be the biggest non-Conor McGregor fight in the history of the corporation. Probably will be the biggest non-Conor McGregor fight ever. Um, yeah. And you can even stack the card if you want. Get, make, make, here, if you want to have a stack card, here's what you could do. You go Lewis, you go Lewis versus Stipe. Jones versus Naganu. Winner of Stipe Lewis gets the winner of that. You do that mm-hmm. the same night. You stack the card, and then you put another put a woman's title fight. Mm-hmm. Also, put Nunez on the card. Make it like yeah. the he- make it their headlining card for the summer. That's what they did with the um, the McGregor one. Hey, like they they put a really good fight, Michael Chandler and the, the Hooker. And I was I'm like, damn, I love McGregor, but I want to watch Michael Chandler's debut, right? And, and he they- knocked out, and he knocked him out. I'm a really big Michael Chandler fan. I really hope that him and Chandler was seconds away from being the champion. Yeah, I think. And then Oliveira survives and then gets Chandler gets and Chandler gets knocked out in the next round. Crazy 30 second circumstance there. But the UFC should have a summer headline and have it. Lewis, Stipe, Nakanu, Jones, do it. And then you will sell millions of pay-per-views. Pay John Jones his money you he deserves. I agree completely. He said he ran through a light heavyweight division that now uh, no one cares about. No one cares about the light heavyweight division anymore. They had to bring Adasani up to make it a challenge. Yeah, that was that was yeah. Adasanya gave up way too much weight to get up there. It was a, it was a top watch. He just got He had to put twenty pounds on to even oh. make it. Yeah, I got bullied on the ground. That was a tough watch. That was a tough watch. So that's the thing. Jones ran through a division. Now the division is irrelevant. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think John, Jones is the GOAT. John mind. Jones is proving. Like, unless you, in, the issue here is, do you not want to give John Jones his first shot at heavyweight at the, the championship because you were afraid of him losing? Is that the concern? Um... I'm- I understand that. I think it's just Dana just being stingy, man. That's just the simplicity of the situation. You could read more into it. But I think Dana's just being a bit too stingy, and I think he should pay his fighters what they're worth. And I, and I think that's why you see now UFC fighters taking these fights with the Paul brothers because they are making more money than they have in their entire UFC career. Exactly. Ty Wood's going to make more money than he made in his entire life, entire career. Like, look, Ben Askren got one6 million pay-per-view buys as a main event with Jake Paul. Like, why would you not take that? Why would you rather risk your life against 
born killers or would you rather fight a ball brother and get close to 2 million pay-per-view buys and get the biggest payday of your life? Exactly. So what happens when, so does McGregor knock out Poirier? Yeah, 100%. Inside two rounds. McGregor's going to win that fight inside two rounds. And then how fast do you make Oliveira versus McGregor? How much time do you give McGregor off? What is the turn? Do you put it? Do you put that fight December? Is that the December card fight? Exactly, exactly what I was going to say. December twenty twenty one. That's that's the fight for the title. And whoever wins that fight is going to be the champion going into twenty twenty two. That's I think Poirier Poirier could win that fight too. So whoever wins the McGregor fight fights for the chip. That's exactly how I should have it because Poirier Poirier is right now Poirier is the king of the division. I don't care what that. Oliveira has the belt. Poirier has beaten everyone in the division, and he's the champ right now. If McGregor beats Poirier, then McGregor will fight for the title. That's the way I see it. I think. I, I want to end gears on where we started. We started with the Vancouver Canucks. What do you want to see the Vancouver Canucks do in the offseason? Be proactive. Just have a plan. It's just that simple. Just have foresight. I want to see something. I don't want asking them to be the best team in the league next season. I just want to have vision and hope as a fan. I want them to draft well with the ninth overall pick. I do not want them to make trades just for the sake of making the playoffs. I want them to be proactive with their money. I want them to show that they have a plan moving forward. And that's not going to take a, a single move is not going to do that for me. It's going to be a combination of moves. It's going to be a combination of things that Jim Benning and co say moving forward. That will make me happy as a fan, but I, I don't think it's going to happen, but um, uh, I'm curious if they use the expansion draft to their advantage, like they did with the Nate Schmidt acquisition, how, Vegas knew they couldn't keep him, so they traded him early, and the Canucks got him for a third-round pick. That was a great trade, but it hasn't really worked out yet, right? Like, Nate Schmidt did not have the greatest of seasons with the Canucks, but I think, in theory, that was a great trade. I, I was a huge fan of that trade. So, so do they? Do the Canucks take advantage of teams like that? Like your, exactly, Car- yeah. like, like your Carolinas, like your Torontos, like mm-hmm. the teams that have this very deep, like your Tampas even, that, exactly. they, have a, that they have a big, deep core, mm-hmm. and they can only protect 7-3-1. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what exactly what I was because saying. Because currently the Canucks are protecting Zach McEwen. Yeah, it's that's that's the thing, right? And they also traded a fourth round pick because they needed to protect Madison Bowie. Like, how can your depth be that low that you have to trade a pick for someone to still you have to protect? So let's. Extra. I want to hear this from you. The expansion draft is here. Who are the Canucks? What are your seven, three, and one? Um. Okay. Kind of putting me on the spot. I don't really have the. Like who's exempt and who's not? Obviously, it's Quinn Hughes is exempt. I'll tell you that for sure. Okay, like gotta again. I'm on the spot here because I don't have the list in front of me. But obviously, you keep the big boys: Pedersen, Besser, Miller, Horvat. That's your four forwards, right? Um, damn me, man! Like you're you're putting me right on the spot here. Um, that that's my point, though, Nikhil. Is the Canucks' depth is so bad that after those four? It yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't you're matter. Gonna, you're going to have to protect Pearson, which is a terrible I, idea. I, I was thinking of Pearson. I'm just like, I wouldn't protect him, bro. But you <laughs> have to, I, know, because yeah, of the contract. Yeah, I'm, I'd give that. I'd trade that contract for a seventh in a heartbeat. But, a, and, a heartbeat. And, then, and now because of what is happening with Jake Vertanen, unfortunately, you can't protect him. You're left protecting Zach McEwen. Yeah. And I, then that, on defense, it's you let Schmidt. You right? It's Schmidt, Myers, Olevi. Seattle's not taking any of them except Schmidt. So, like, yeah. Canucks, should, the, yeah. so Canucks should trade some of their... I would rather the Canucks trade a fourth, a fifth, a third, like they did with Schmidt, and get in pieces that are actually exactly. going to help yeah. this team exactly. instead of a fifth-round draft pick that's not going to yeah. make this team for three years, four yeah, years, five, even if they make no. it. I agree. And like, that's the Canucks it. issue, is they need to use this expansion draft to their advantage and trade deeper picks or even deep prospects that they, like their, their Canucks are deep at center. The Canucks are deep at, they have a couple prospects in the wings that they don't know about. And even Golden, they can trade Savoy's. They can use their draft picks to their advantage and trade them for teams who can't protect players. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I did mention that on the onset where I said the Canucks should use the expansion draft as a tool because they're not exactly a deep team. When you have, like, Eric Chernak potentially from Tampa Bay not being protected, like, that's our 
potentially our second best defenseman if he comes to Vancouver, right? Like they have an abundance. Of, there's a teams that are way deeper than the Canucks that that's, that's how exactly how Vegas became good. Right. Because like Nate Schmidt was the seventh defense, sixth defenseman on the Washington Capitals. He instantly became like, there was a time where Nate Schmidt was a number one defenseman on a Stanley cup like a team. That was a couple of games away from winning the Stanley cup. So you have to be proactive with your pro scouting and identify who these really good hidden gems are on good hockey teams are. And, you know, I'd be fine. Those are the kind of guys I'd be fine giving away draft picks for not like, Lyndon Vays and the boys back in the day. Like, I actually want guys who have a future in the National Hockey League who have shown in limited minutes they can produce. I am fully on board. I think this summer for sports is very exciting. Nikhil, that is all I have for you in the sports rant with Grant here tonight. Thank you so much for coming on and talking everything we discussed tonight, Nikhil. Anytime, my guy. Anytime. Any final thoughts from you? Nah, man, it's like you said, great summer of sports coming up from fights to interesting. To the Olympics, to the Euros, everything around the corner is on its way. Nikhil, I hope to see you soon. Have a rest of, have a good rest of your night, Nikhil, and enjoy it, my friend. 100% man, just go hit some weights. Oh, hell yeah. Once again, thank you to Nikhil for joining me here on the Sports Rant with Grant. That is all we have for tonight. Head on over to the Twitter page at Sports Rant Grant and give it a follow. And don't forget to check out the Instagram page, the Sports Rant with Grant, and make sure you hit that follow button over there. That is the Sports Rant with Grant presented by the Pacific Northwest Radio. Thank you, everybody, and have a great night.